Sam Tracy. And I'm Sarah Merrigan. And thanks for tuning in to Season 5 of This Week in Drugs, the leading podcast on all things drugs, including policy, science, culture, and so much more. This show is produced by Twid Media, whose members are all alumni of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, an awesome nonprofit working to end the war on drugs. We also produce a weekly email newsletter and have some other exciting projects on the way. You can check them all out on our website, thisweekindrugs.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. And now it's time for the weekly news and forecast, where Sarah and I are going to talk about some of the biggest drug news stories from the last week and talk about some exciting things that will be coming up after that. But before we dive into the episode itself, just want to thank our sponsor this week, which is listeners like you. Uh, We talk about it a lot, but we've got a Patreon page, and I just want to give many thanks to our 13 patrons who are currently giving us small monthly donations. But we do know that over 700 people listen to the show every week, so it would be amazing if 13 more Uh, could pitch in to help us cover our costs and reach an even broader audience. Uh, So with that, I want to kick it over to Sarah for the first story. Absolutely. Thank you, Sam. Uh, So our first one this week is one that has gotten lots of coverage, at least within Mm -hmm. my circle, and caused a little bit of, well, no, that's an understatement, caused a good (laughs) amount of controversy um, due to some very differing opinions. Yeah. And... So I guess to kick things off, uh, on Monday, the Food and Drug Administration announced that they were approving um, what an article in STAT calls a, quote, upgraded version of Abilify. And this new product will actually be sold as Abilify MySite. And what makes it different is that it is equipped with a sensor that enables Mm. it to be tracked um, if a patient opts in the patients, the information that the sensor tracks can be sent to caregivers um, or the, and the doctor, primary care physician, or perhaps other specialists um, mm-hmm. would be able to access that data online. And like I said, it's an opt-in situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, the technology is only in this specific, you know, Abilify. Um, and what and is those, Abilify again for... Perfect. That's yeah. what I was just going to say. Oh, nice. um, for people who aren't familiar, it's an uh, antipsychotic, and it's been mm. around for about 15 years. Um, and so it's typically used to treat schizophrenia, bipolar, and then in a little bit smaller doses for depression. Okay. So it is one that's very important for people to be tracking their dosage and everything, because I assume it can be pretty bad if you miss it. Abs- uh, that's my understanding. I've mm. never personally been prescribed it. Um, mm. But I know some of the... Some of the concerns um, that I've heard and I think are very legitimate um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, this is a very new decision. We don't really know where the technology is going to go from here or how it's necessarily going to be used. It Um, is some like black mirror worries. (laughs) (laughs) It's possible, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. but because Abilify is an antipsychotic, a lot of the people who are prescribed antipsychotics are maybe marginalized in other ways, or they're people who, um, you know, paranoia is unfortunately mm-hmm. a symptom of all three of those um, disorders at times. And that's, uh, you know, I, it's not out of question, out of the question to 
there is some very legitimate paranoia there about t- swallowing something that has a sensor in it. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's just such a strange concept because I imagine, you know, it's still a normal pill size and it's just incredibly small and neither dissolves or just passes it, yep. through your system. But yeah, I mean, swallowing a sensor, that's something that's, you know, a very characteristic kind of sci-fi dystopia sort of thing. And leading with an antipsychotic drug does, I mean, there's possibilities there that wouldn't be in birth control or something like that. But I imagine with, I was trying to think of like what other sort of drugs it would be very important to do this with. And birth control did come up in my head just because that's something that Mm -hmm. they say at least that the timing of it is pretty important, but I think there might be some differing opinions there, but that's something that's good for people setting timers on their phones. Maybe just have a built-in sensor. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, and I think this is one thing that where I felt things are kind of controversial. I, Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of our listeners know I take a handful of pharmaceuticals for various mental health conditions and I've been taking Mm -hmm. Adderall, um, and ADHD medications for years now. And I know other people who took similar medications, um, Mm -hmm. where we would have, there would be a case where, you know, you would have your pill sitting out and then after a certain amount of time, it's been sitting there so long that you don't know if you took it or not. And Mm -hmm. then it just becomes, well, okay, now I have to wait another hour to see if in an hour, how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that case, it would be really useful to be able to check a tracker and if I took it or not. So I think, you know, there are very valid concerns about starting with an antipsychotic, but we'll see where it goes from here. Mm Yeah, the someone. Possibilities are interesting. Yeah, I usually love technology stuff and am a little less scared of dystopias and just embracing new things <laughs> than most people. But this seems exciting, so I hope that you know it goes in the the utopia direction instead. <laughs> <laughs> but moving on to our next story, this one is an update on the Trump administration's pretty slow moving and uh, even taking a few steps back nominations process <laughs> of key government roles. This one about who is going to replace Tom Price as the next head of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So regular listeners and American politics nerds know that the former secretary, who was Tom Price, he was forced to resign after a scandal where he spent over $1 million in taxpayer funding on private jet flights and charter jets when he totally could have just taken commercial flights. Uh, So now it looks like Uh, Azar may fill that role as Trump announced on Tuesday that he will be nominating him, uh, Alex Azar. And for some background on him, he's a longtime conservative operator. He was the general counsel of HHS, Health and Human Services, back in the early 2000s under President George W. Bush, moved up to be deputy, sorry, (laughs) moved up to be deputy secretary of HHS in 2005. And so him becoming secretary now is just kind of pretty standard, not not a big surprise or, or anything radical. Um, but I think it is interesting because after his work with HHS, which ended in 2007, he then worked as a lobbyist for the pharmaceutical industry um, with mm. a company, Eli Lilly and Company, and then even went on to be a VP of one of his division, one of their divisions. And so it is kind of surprising to see a pharmaceutical rep get picked after um, the whole Tom Marino thing, which we can get to in a second. But before diving into some comparisons, just what are your, your thoughts on this pick so far? I I think the simplest thing to say is that I think it fits uh, the pattern of the way that mm-hmm. he has been filling his, his cabinet. Um, Fill the swamp, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but there was a quote um, 
I want to say it was um, Elijah Cummings, who's a pretty high-ranking Democrat, and he basically referred to it as, um, he said Trump's pick was like, quote, a fox guarding the hen house, mm-hmm. um, which I think is interesting. And, and yeah, it's, um, you know, I don't know that much about Azar personally, but I think, like I said, you know, it, it fits the same pattern and bringing in someone who has raised drug prices to supposedly lower drug prices. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess if I want to be hopelessly optimistic, he, he knows, he knows the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think more realistically that just is, uh, um, we'll see. Yeah. Cause it is basically just bringing in another, I assume incredibly wealthy executive type person who, who's, been inside big pharma and yeah you know he does know how the system works and how they're able to get away with raising prices because the, their company did raise many uh drugs prices significantly while he was there um but yeah i i guess i'm also not very optimistic but this is just so surprising to me too because as we recently talked about um for a different nomination i actually had it confused in my head for a second at the beginning and thinking they're the same one, but it was for the head of ONDCP that uh, Congressman Tom Marino was supposed to be um, or was nominated for and then had to step down basically because uh, it came out that he had helped loosen DEA regulations on opiates. So basically like being a shill for big pharma, people claimed. And now we have someone who actually worked for big pharma as like a VP in one of their hugest divisions uh, rather than just being a congressman who passed big pharma friendly regulations and now he seems to be sailing right through and I'm wondering if that has something to do with that Eli Lilly isn't really involved in opiates I don't know their whole portfolio but maybe it's specifically opiates that people care about just because that's the big talk right now but um, I guess we'll have to wait and see if any opiate related scandals come out during this nomination process because it's not over (sighs) Yeah, who knows? Uh, I think it's, um, I don't know, like you said, time will tell. (laughs) But uh, moving into our next story and moving away from the U.S. a little bit more, uh, this next this next one is a study out of Kingston University in London. and it's about young people and alcohol. So it's important, I think, to point out that the legal drinking age there is 18 and not 21 uh, for the purposes of, of this study and this conversation. Um, basically, the researchers wanted to look at how capable young people were of detecting the, the level of alcohol um, in an individual drink. And... So they brought together um, a group of young adults, and in this case, that was between 19 and 30, which is why, again, I'm pointing out that the legal drinking age was mm-hmm. 18. <laughs> so this was this was perfectly legal. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they had them do, um, they, you know, like I said, they put together different drinks, um, and they were did taste tests basically containing um, with each drink containing a different concentration of alcohol. Oh, okay, interesting. And then after doing the taste test, the participants were asked to rank them basically 
from what they thought was like the highest to lowest, the strongest drink to the weakest. And based, you know, the majority of the participants walked in there thinking that, yeah, I'm going to be able to do this. This is, this is simple. And a majority of them got, got it right. Um, but it was only 58%. Hmm. So that means there were what, 42% who, who could not do it correctly. Yeah. Pretty sizable minority there. Yeah. Um, and so there were a lot of kind of implications of this. Um, really the biggest one that the researchers were concerned about was how this impacts young people trying to manage their alcohol consumption um, and particularly some of the risks, you know, if they're, if you're going out to a bar and you're not making the drink yourself um, or if you're going out anywhere and not making the drink yourself, um, you're not necessarily going to be able to tell the strength. um, And in some cases, you know, you might not be able to tell if your drink has been altered in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this is, this is a lot more interesting and less disappointing than I thought at first. Because when <laughs> I first saw this story, when we were talking about it before recording, I was assuming that it was basically um, that young people couldn't measure out an alcoholic drink properly about mm, knowing what to drink. Mm. Because I remember that being a big thing in college, them teaching us like this line on the solo cup is one shot. It's not, you know, halfway up sure. or something like that. But this is something, I mean, it's very understandable with like a cocktail or something. Sometimes it is very difficult to tell how much is in there, especially if it's a really sugary drink, which is why I think it's just really important, especially at house parties when we're talking like college and that sort of thing. It's harder in a bar, um, although there you could just ask and I'm sure they'd tell you. But uh, it is always just good to make your, your own drink so that you know exactly how much is going in there and like keeping track of your intake because yeah it's very easy to to get much more inebriated than you want to be when Mm. it's an unknown quantity of alcohol in there absolutely and i think what you said about the sweet drink um was interesting because one of Mm. the things that i found the most fascinating was people who seem to be the best at differentiating between the weakest and the strongest drinks were people who said that they preferred the taste of the lowest alcohol drink because then, you know, mm, since they liked mm-hmm. that taste the most, they were able to tell then when something had more alcohol in it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. There are some interesting implications, and we will uh, link to that on our site. Absolutely. And so the last big story for this week, um, coming back to the U.S., and this one is about a terribly offensive rant at a public hearing in Boston, Massachusetts, where residents were allowed to weigh in on a proposed medical marijuana dispensary. Uh, one man at this test at this public hearing, his testimony went viral. And to show you why, we're just going to play his 55 second testimony in full. So here it goes. Uh, my name is Oliver Kerm. I live in the Burridge Mansion right around the corner from this proposed dispensary. And all my friends uh, and I are against this because it'll bring undesirable elements into the neighborhood. And, and just so you know what I mean, uh, there are army vets with PTSD, and we don't want them in their neighborhood. You know, just give me a break. They can get over it. And the second thing is people with wheelchairs, with MS or whatever. I don't think this is a zoning uh, issue. Well, I think that the third one is is women with breast cancer. You know, they always have that cadaverous look, and they wear those ridiculous turbans, 
And for goodness sake, Newberry Street is our high-end. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a high-end shopping district. We don't want people like that scaring off the clientele. We got we got your message loud and clear. Thank you. All right. So this was obviously terrible. He mocks pretty much all of some of the most vulnerable groups, veterans, MS patients. Um, and for those who obviously are just listening uh, and haven't seen this video, he even you know makes a motion with his hand mocking people with MS that you can see if you see the video. Um, he, breast cancer patients even threw something in there about turbans, uh, getting kind of like strangely racist about it too. So this spread like wildfire around uh, my Facebook community for sure of uh, you know people talking about marijuana in Massachusetts. But this even you know got onto major news stations in Mass and. After some of the conversations in those Facebook threads, some thought it was suspiciously offensive, like too over the top and saying that it had to be someone who is a supporter than trolling opponents like the Yes Men or other groups like that. Um, and actually, when after it went viral, the, the man in the video, Oliver Kerm, he came out and said that it was satire and that he actually supports the dispensary and was trying to uh, demonstrate exactly who it would be helping um, and saying that the only choice was to approve it. Uh, he does actually live in a mansion nearby, so that's true and kind of led to suspicions that he was kind of a terrible person. Uh, <laughs> but it turns out he seems to be a nice mansion dweller. And um, we checked and uh, Eric Casey actually uh, confirmed that he did not donate money against uh, question four to legalize marijuana. So he doesn't seem to be, you know, an anti-marijuana person. Mm -hmm. Um but that does bring up an important question, assuming that, you know, this was actually satire, um, which I think it was, whether it was well done or not. But was it a good or a bad idea? Was it effective? Was it was the point he was making worth offending people over? What, what are your thoughts on uh, on his performance? Um, I have a lot of thoughts about his performance. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the... Mm. Mm. see uh, as someone with ptsd uh some mm -hmm. of the veteran things are you know i i have questions um but mm -hmm. it's also it's it's a question of intent versus impact right um yeah. you know his his intentions seem to be good um his impact uh, you know um it sounds like it had a an impact on people who were watching, people who were there, and people who weren't there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, you could see the the faces of people in the background of the video just kind of in shock, and some people who I know that are, you know, veterans involved in medical marijuana activism in Massachusetts were really hurt by it when they first saw it, and you know that is an actual negative impact at the beginning, at least. Yeah, I think that's that's really the biggest issue is, um, you know, if people within his the people in his community who he was trying to necessarily really stand up for, um, if they feel hurt about it um, by his mm -hmm. comments, then then that's questionable. Um, I think, you know, if if it's a net win and um, the dispensary is approved and things like that, um, mm -hmm. then that's a positive. But you it's hard you know would would that same decision have been made without his his satirical performance mm -hmm. yeah that's the question mm -hmm. and it is interesting and i think you know there, there may have been 
a better script he could have written to make the same point without exactly as much, uh, you know, offensive content. But on the other hand, this blew up. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. much, it got way more attention. I mean, I've gone to these hearings and uh, said positive comments about dispensaries and none of those have gone viral just because (laughs) it's just kind of a normal talking about dispelling some fears. Um, But this was, you know, making a mockery of those fears. And I think Mm -hmm. it was an excellent point because it really drives home the idea that veterans and breast cancer patients and MS patients are the people who are getting served by this when a lot of the time opponents are trying to pretend it's a sham for you know recreational use and, and, and that sort of thing trying to depict all the use uh, all the patients as, as healthy recreational users um, which is less likely now that it's going legal for everyone so medical will be even more medical um, but as you said the the results do matter as well the zoning board did approve the proposal they probably would have otherwise but i do hope that this maybe makes people a little more afraid to come out and attack a dispensary because they'll get lumped in with uh this kind of thing which is you know at kind of at the heart of nimbyism anyway yeah but before moving into our quick hit headlines just a quick word from our sponsor This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. Join them at patreon.com slash twit. If you've listened to This Week in Drugs before, you know that we have a 30-second commercial each week, which helps cover the cost of producing the show. But that's not our biggest source of funding. The big majority of our money comes from listeners like you, who sign up to support our work with a small monthly contribution. At patreon.com slash twid, you can get some great perks for as little as $1 a month. This money helps us pay our bills, like web hosting and audio production software, so that we can keep creating great content for you to listen to each week. Again, that's patreon.com slash twid. We appreciate your support. And now it's time for our quick hit headlines. And this week, my first one is a pretty big one. Um, Thursday, California released uh, emergency marijuana regulations, which will allow the state to start issuing licenses and prepare for January 1st, when the start of recreational marijuana sales should begin. All right. The Miami Herald has an interesting story on a Florida man who is on probation for murder uh, that happened in 1999, and he has gotten permission to use medical marijuana, along with the many other drugs that he's prescribed for keeping his schizophrenia under control. Uh, This is the first case I've seen where someone on probation was allowed to use medical marijuana, as typically any marijuana use is considered a violation of probation. But of course, now Florida has a medical marijuana program. This Tuesday, the FDA issued a public warning about the dangers of Kratom, something we reported on previously during our Drug of the Month segment and when the DEA was trying to ban it. Um, The public health advisory issued by the FDA was written as a general public health statement, but the primary focus seemed to be on using Kratom for opioid replacement therapy um, as a substitution. And the timing is particularly interesting because of the Opioid Commission report that was recently released. Mm-hmm. 
and a new study on the harms caused by driving under the influence of various drugs has found that drivers under the influence of alcohol are 17.8 times more likely to be responsible for a fatal accident, while drivers under the influence of cannabis are 1.65 times more likely. Uh, that means that alcohol DUI is over 10 times more dangerous than marijuana DUI. Now moving into our weekly forecast, my event takes place Tuesday, November 28th in DC at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. And Senator Claire McCaskill will be hosting a roundtable discussion about the need to strengthen the DEA's ability to enforce the law against opioid distributors and her legislation to um, her legislation to repeal the Ensuring Patient Access and Effective Drug Enforcement Act of 2016. If there's a live stream, we will provide information about that on our website. Awesome. And on Monday, November 20th, which is tomorrow, if you're listening to this the day the episode comes out, the Committee to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol is going to submit its petitions to legalize marijuana in Michigan uh, to the State Bureau of Elections. They say they've collected more than 250,000 signatures, which are necessary to put marijuana legalization on the ballot for 2018, which would make them the first state to officially qualify for a legalization vote next year. They may be the only state to vote on adult use, and some top contenders for medical marijuana votes include Missouri, Oklahoma, and Utah. Okay. Well, that's about it for this week. But before we wrap up, we do want to thank our sponsors this week, listeners like you. And as Sam said in the beginning, we do want to give a special shout out to our patrons. And if you love what we do, uh, we invite you to head on over to patreon.org and join them. You can also check out our website and check out the Sponsor Us tab. But like I said, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Again, for listening to season five of This Week in Drugs, hosted by Sam Tracy and me, Sarah Merrigan, and produced by Chris Harris. If you liked this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that new episodes will be sent straight to you. If you really liked this episode, you can help other people discover us by writing a quick review in iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you absolutely love this episode and want to support our work, you can make a one-time contribution using PayPal, become a monthly supporter on Patreon, or even sponsor an episode. For links to those and to learn more about our other projects, head on over to thisweekindrugs.org.